Today is Friday, November 17th, 2017. And on this episode of Creative Church Podcast, we talk with Carlos Whitaker about his new book, Kill the Spider. You're listening to the Creative Church Podcast, where each week we talk about the latest in church creative culture and explore the lives of prominent creatives. I'm Nick Goodner. And I'm Ross Montgomery. This week's episode is sponsored by StockHub. StockHub is the most affordable way for you to create video content. For $25 a month, you get unlimited license-free 5K, 4K, and HD stock footage. From aerials to mission videos to Christmas to Easter, StockHub has everything you need, and they're adding 1,000-plus new clips each month. Stop hundreds of dollars per clip and get all the 4K ProRes files you need for only $25 a month. StockHub is the source for unlimited stock video for only $25 a month. Download an unlimited amount of files, no contract, and no licenses. Go to StockHub.com slash Creative Church for a special discount offer on your membership. That's S-T-O-K-H-U-B dot com slash C-R-T-V Church. Ross, how's your week been? A pretty good week starting... Starting the week strong with eating a banana and getting my potassium levels up. Boom. That is how you podcast. And that's just how you podcast. Just on banana power. Yeah, banana power. Yeah, this podcast is ran on banana power. Mm. That is, that's kind of a behind the scene. Yeah. You know, we know it's going to be a good podcast if Ross eats a banana. Uh, There's always money in the banana stand. Um, but yeah, that's, that's exciting. Uh, anything, anything new happened? Any good movies, anything you've seen lately or done lately? Um, went to see murder on the Orient express this past weekend with the wife. I enjoyed it. She fell asleep. (laughs) Three, I I would say three out of five movies. My wife falls asleep. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) I I think that's just the wife thing. Um, I, I kind of want to talk real quick though. You got a new lens for your Sony's. uh, I did. Get a new 70 to 200 millimeter F 2.8, uh, Sony G series lens. And that thing is amazing. We've already started shooting it with it like shortly after we got it. And, uh, yeah, it's just a really incredible lens and I'm very, very impressed. What is, what is your thoughts? You know, you got to shoot with it Sunday. So what, uh, what's, what's one of your big takeaways from it so far? Oh, I I love, and the main reason I got it was so that we didn't feel like we had to be like all up in people, like as, as stuff's going on, maybe in the sanctuary that we want to capture on video just of the weekend. We don't feel like we have to be sticking out like a sore thumb and in the middle of everybody as we're trying to take pictures. So now we can get some really cool shots and be standing at, you know, in the production booth or somewhere near the back or on the sides and be able to get up close and have that still kind of close personal feel to whatever we're taking a picture of. So real incredible, real sharp, obviously with any camera, you want to set up the back focus button. So that's been a really easy thing to work with, with it as well. We put it on a tripod because it is just a monster of a lens. Um, and the mirrorless camera just looks tiny on it. And so, um, yeah, we just use a monopod in it and it was excellent and I can't wait to use it more. Um, now you at Plum Creek and guys, if you've never checked out plumcreek.com or excuse me, plumcreek.church, um, their new website, your new website's up this week, right? It is. It is. Our, we have an incredible resident um, that's in the creative and tech side of things for us, Cody, and he 
poured a lot of time and a lot of customization into it. And I think it's paid off. Yeah, and it does. It looks absolutely incredible. I would go check out the team page, but check out Plum Creek because you guys solely use Sony cameras. Is that correct? Uh, yes. For all like in, I believe it was March of this year, we switched everything over to Sony cameras for all of our main video purposes. I, I bought two Sony A7S twos, um, and, uh, initially bought the 24 to 70, um, Sony G lens, zoom lens, and then instantly realized I need the telephoto one and a wider one. And so just kind of my, making my way onto those purchases as well. But man, I have been super impressed with them. A lot of people will complain about the menu settings on them, but there is so much customization that you barely have to go into the menu at all. And once you set all the buttons up to do what you want to do, you have complete control on the exterior of the camera and can do whatever you want in a pinch on the turn of a dime. I can go from 4K to 4K 24P to 1080 60p uh with one click of the wheel and it's just incredible yeah so if you guys ever want to see a good example of what the sony a7s2 looks like go check out plum creek because they have some awesome video and ross of course is the man behind the camera on that i know i shoot with sony i shoot with the sony a7 or excuse me a300 and uh yeah the menu was frustrating at first but i think i sat down last week actually no 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 excuse me two weeks ago and went through and recustomized everything that you know you have to do uh, quite frequently, you know, set ISO, stuff like that, and uh, back focus, all that jazz. And it's been a dream to work with ever since. So brilliant, brilliant camera. I love Sony. Um, I'm becoming more of a Sony fan myself. I used to be more Canon, but I think I think the Canon for me was the body. I love a bulkier camera. I know a lot of a lot of people don't, but uh, I, I do like the bulkier camera. Kind of, you know, a big guy. I have big hands. So, uh, <laughs> Holding any any Sony camera, any mirrorless Sony camera is like holding a child's camera. And it's like, ooh, I feel I feel like my masculinity is being taken away right now. So you feel like, you feel like Will Ferrell in or not yeah, Will Ferrell in Elf. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good, good, good description of that. Yeah. Um, big news for me this week though. Um, yes, I would love to hear that. My iPhone X came in. Oh, did you want me to be excited? I'm sorry. Oh, 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 wow, wow. What? Wow. What? That was a jab. Not at you. No, not at you. Don't take that personal. <laughs> Just said the iPhone X. It was solely directed at Apple. Um, yeah, my iPhone X came in and I haven't, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get real right now. It came in last Wednesday and it is still sitting on my desk, meaning I haven't touched it. And that's why you should never buy an iPhone. Oh. <sighs> I love my iPhone though, <laughs> but you haven't used it. I have, I, I know, but I have a lot of Apple products, a lot of Apple product. Yeah. And I need Same all my here. Apple products to be connected and you know, one with you, each other. Oh, you have to, I have to I could get a Google pixel too and do all the same things. Even though I don't know how iCloud works. I have to, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I did. I took it out of the box and I honestly, I waited for the case for a couple of days and the case came in Friday. Still haven't set it up. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't want to tell my wife. I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. Cause you know, we have a, we have something called the sprint upgrade plan with, you know, sprint, which not that I'm, they're not sponsored to the podcast. So I'll say this Sprint's not that great of a network, um, <laughs> but they do have an awesome plan for upgrading your iPhone. So every year you get a free one, but you have to pay a deposit of like 
50 bucks. So I, I finally talked Lid into letting me use the $50 to upgrade the iPhone. And uh, yeah, I'm disappointed. Oh, hot take. I, however, I will say, I will say this, the camera on it, it's phenomenal. I mean, oh yeah, I, I have taken three photos with it, but it was pretty awesome. Those three photos are the best photos you've ever taken on a phone, I'm sure. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and until you get the uh, the Google Pixel too, so that's what my week's looking like. Um, Ross, you got anything else? That's all I got. Up next is trending. Each week, we gather a few different articles and news stories that are impacting church culture and churches and creators, and we discuss them. Here's what's trending this week. So as a lot of you may have been seeing recently, there are a lot of uh, Christmas ads starting to come out. Obviously, everybody knows when um, it is 12 a.m. on November 1st, everything goes into Christmas mode. So why not the commercials as well? And John Lewis has been famous. I I believe it's a UK um, department store. Am Am I incorrect in that? I don't know. I think John Lewis, you know, and our UK, our UK listeners can correct us, but I believe John Lewis is a department store. Okay. So they, they have a lot of items product available for people and they always do incredible commercials, just really heartfelt. And they really had this neat idea with Moz the monster where they kind of go into this monster under the bed situation. I won't give too much away. Uh, you guys can go watch it, uh, just literally by searching John Lewis Christmas ad uh, or Moz the monster, John Lewis, and you can see what's going on there. But I'd love to, to know, um, what you guys think of it. And Nick, did you happen to watch it yet? Yes, I watched it and it's about two minutes, but I think the intriguing thing for me going, you know, into watching this was actually how they led up. They actually, I don't know if it's a UK thing or what, but they kind of treat Christmas commercials like we treat our Super Bowl commercials. That's <laughs> accurate. That's accurate. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because I mean, they had like a whole marketing campaign built around this commercial and Moz the monster, like complete with a uh, plush Moz. Right. And they, they even had like a hashtag Moz the monster leading up to it. And people were anticipating this dropping. And I think it dropped on November 10th and it's very interesting. So if you're in creative talks group, we can kind of discuss this this week, but uh, if you're in creative talks and you're in the UK, I would love to know what that commercial season looks like for you. Cause I know what, I know what Super Bowl time looks for like for us. And, uh, that's a fun time for us. So I, I just, you know, I'm interested to know what the Christmas UK looks like. Yeah. But even the storytelling that people put into Christmas ads, I think it's really neat to see that creativity. Um, you know, I mean, this might be a hot take, but I don't think the Super Bowl ads have been extremely creative. I think they've just kind of go, gone for the easy laugh or the easy way uh, to make a buck. I'm just saying, I Get think out. a lot of Christmas ads can be um, much better with the storytelling, um, just because it is that time of year where people, you know, are thinking about family or maybe getting nostalgic and that kind of thing. And to have these kind of ads, I think is a really good way to go. And so I think John Lewis is just going to be the first of, of many great commercials that we'll see. Hopefully, you know, the gamut, funny, sincere, nostalgic, all of that. And that's an interesting take on commercials 
uh, that I've seen this past few years, and I did see it this last year in the Super Bowl, that commercials have gone to more, you know, coming from the church world, storytelling, you know, almost, uh, you know, pull on your heartstrings type of commercials. Like with this past year, I'm just, this is the one I'm pulling off the top of my head, but the family that's trying to cross the border and they keep getting met with, you know, security and they're just trying to make it across that commercial was really, really touching because at the end you, uh, you, you kind of see them walk up to the wall and they're very disappointed that, you know, they can't get through and they look over and there's a door and the caption says, you know, we may always build walls, but we'll build doors as well. And, uh, I mean, I can't even remember what that commercial is for, but, uh, but it still, it still goes to show how these marketing companies have taken a, a different approach to uh, storytelling over funny, campy, you know, kind of sophomore comedy commercials. Yeah. And some of them within 60 seconds, you know, like, and I can't think of the Nike commercial right now, but there's one that shows, I I believe it was Nike where it kind of shows this kid growing up and there's hardly any dialogue except for maybe, um, I think a mom and the mom and son talking at one point, but they're relatively no dialogue except for like that one little exchange, but, um, just shows this really cool progression in 60 seconds and you're just taken into this incredible story um following this this one kid and i i think they are really stepping up just with normal ads like they just crush it like with normal ads there's one called want it all that's really good and and just some different things that they're doing i think they're one to watch when it comes to the ads as well these ads that we're discussing right now are not ads that focus solely on the product themselves, rather the story behind the product or the story that, you know, can be developed within the world of the product. You know, with Moz the Monster, it's about a nightlight and this monster's, you know, playing with the kid every night and the kid's staying up late and he's getting tired. So he's falling asleep like at soccer games and stuff like that. And uh, finally, at the end, I think the monster buys him a nightlight from the John Lewis department store, puts it on the kid's nightstand. The monster disappears because you know monsters only come out during the dark spoiler warning but yeah oh spoiler warning. yeah <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to talk about it if you wanted a spoiler warning you know just always know we're going to talk about it on the podcast uh yes. i encourage you to still go in and watch the rest of it because it's still really good rendering of the monster and an excellent mm-hmm. it was an excellent little 60 second you know to two minute story there there's a couple more i've seen one from southwest and uh nfl ticket exchange that are very similar for nfl ticket exchange you have these amazing like football moments. And then they show people's iPhone or smartphone videos that they captured. And then they say what section they were sitting in. So it's like, oh, make sure you're there to experience this moment that everybody's going to be talking about by buying your ticket on NFL exchange. And Southwest has all of these heartfelt stories, like people using Southwest to go get a record deal, to go see family, to do all these different things that they're trying to achieve in their life to make themselves better. They attach like seat numbers with the people as they're going throughout these scenes. So it's like, yeah, they, they sat in this seat on the way to do this big thing. And so really just using that storytelling and tugging at those heartstrings has been interesting to see even how some of those brands are doing it as well. Yes. And I think that's a great note. If you work in a church or you work in any setting where you're having to advertise something, always go with the story. People connect with stories and they love stories over over the ads. Moving on, uh, Tori Kelly covered Hillsong's So Will I for the Uversion app. Here's a little clip of that right now. Oh, and as you speak a hundred billion creatures catch your breath 
evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. To me, that's absolutely beautiful. We shared that on Creative, uh, the Creative Church Instagram, and I think we only had just a segment of. It. I don't think it was. I think it was just sixty seconds for us. It wasn't the full version, and it was. Oh man, it's probably one of our most responded and most interacted with videos of last week because people, first off, Tori Kelly is oh, amazing. amazing. And uh, maybe, maybe she'll be on the podcast here in a few, you know, maybe Ross can do something about that. Um, <laughs> oh, right, right. Put it on my shoulders. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, and she's absolutely amazing. And, and that cover, that song already is, is really, really good. And that cover is just phenomenal. Yeah. And I mean, she was on Lecrae's new album with I'll Find You. And that's also an incredible song. And her portion of it is just amazing. Yes. And uh, she was also now that 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 clip of her singing. Yes. Comes from a about four or five minute interview that they put out on the Version app. And if you haven't gone to see the if you've seen the clip, but you haven't gone to see the interview, go and watch the interview because the interview is really, really, really good. And uh, I'm not going to give anything away with that. Just go and watch it. Oh, we spoil everything else except Tori Kelly. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we don't spoil good Christian media because oh, okay. I want good Christian media <laughs> to get a lot of views. That's my philosophy. Good Christian media always gets a lot of views. So okay. go and watch that interview. So. <laughs> On that note, um, if you happen to be a fan of Nutella, I'm sorry to to say or break this to you, but Nutella has announced on Facebook and confirmed on Twitter that it was fine-tuning, in quotes, its famous recipe. In short, Nutella is increasing sugar and decreasing the cocoa. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on the finer points of Nutella? I think Nutella is overrated, first off. Uh, the fact that we included this story in here. I can hear the keyboards clicking right now. The fact that we included this in here was just so I can make fun of Nutella. <laughs> I've written some jokes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. No, I, I think that Nutella, I, first off, if you love Nutella, you know, good for you. I hate hazelnut. I hate the taste of hazelnut. I don't like anything that's remotely flavored like hazelnut. I just hate hazelnut. So Nutella to me is just... So I I can't even relate with what about you do do you you know eat the Nutella I do enjoy Nutella um I I do I can't remember when I started getting into it but yeah I I like it it tastes good to me but I think it's also going to be something interesting to watch you know as different companies can start to not necessarily rebrand themselves but they make changes I mean like Chick Fil A they changed their barbecue sauce and there was which was which was criminal. Oh no, absolutely. The the outrage was completely justified. Oh but, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cuz that other sauce that they brought out was utter trash. Oh yeah, I absolutely. Mean, was, I used to take that barbecue sauce in front of the managers and I'd take it to the trash. I was like, "No, this is not the barbecue sauce." Yeah. And, so and what did they do? They listened. They they took yes. advantage of this change and changed back and made it this big kind of deal. But yeah, so it will be Interesting because a lot of the things that are kind of going around it is, is saying like Nutella is kind of quietly doing this. They're not making a big deal about it. They're not really trying to make it this big announcement. So part of me wonders like, yeah, what 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 could they have done if they kind of embraced this? I think and the reason why they didn't make any big announcement about it was because the reason behind doing it, from what I understand, and I don't know what, you know, any hardly anything about the ingredients factor of Nutella or anything. So don't. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But uh, from my understanding, they did it to make Nutella cheaper. 
And so I think that was the reason uh, why. So the, because I guess cocoa is more expensive and sugar is That's less. why they did it quietly. So they don't have to say, hey, we did it to save money. But I, I'm all for a business saving money. I guess I would want to save money myself. <laughs> yes. But the the fans of Nutella think that it's just it's it's garbage now. They, they think it's Chick-fil-A barbecue sauce. And I'll be interested to see if, if if Nutella tries to take it and change change the recipe back. It'll be interesting. As I've seen that there has been some fan backlash, so we'll we'll see if this takes a Chick Fil A turn of events. As you've probably already seen by now, Disney has officially announced the cast of the upcoming Lion King remake. Did you even know that they're making a Lion King, Ross? I did. They're remaking. It's I it's did. Jungle Book, Jungle Book style. Yeah. And there's been a lot of. I mean, I'm excited for this. I love Disney. I'm Live right across excited. the street from Disney, and um. The casting on it, I think the casting is mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. You got Beyonce, Donald Glover, Seth Rogen, Keegan Michael Key on board, and it's just a lot of excitement built around this cast. Well, and I don't know if you watch Saturday Night Live, Ross, um, but I just watch the good clips that people share. Oh yeah, yeah, th- th- that's that's what that's what it means to watch Saturday Night Live now. Yeah, pretty much, you just <laughs> you just watch what they put on YouTube. But uh. This past weekend, Saturday Night Live released a video from casting screen tests of featured actors who didn't make the cut for the new movie. Here's a clip. This week, Disney announced the cast for the Lion King live-action remake, which is set to star Beyonce and Donald Glover. However, many other performers auditioned to be a part of this epic film. Here are their screen tests. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Hakuna Matata and my medulla oblongata. I only got one shot and they killed my father. Sorry, are you crying? Nick Offerman reading for Hyena. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. And then I laugh. The video goes on to feature Cardi B, Offset, Kit Harrington, LO Cool J, Oprah, and a few others. And it is absolutely hilarious. Ross, did you get a chance to real, see this yet? Real funny. I think uh <laughs> I think they just have a great when when they can do parody right, it it just you know, is right. It feels like it is what it's supposed to be. And I think they did a really good job on this. Even some of the ones you're just like Nick Offerman one made me laugh because I'm a big fan of Nick Offerman. So, um, yeah, just hilarious the way they approached all the characters that they did. And this is the second time I think they've done this kind of segment. The first one was actually done during Star Wars and they did the Star Wars screen test. And it's I don't know what it is about these that are just so funny because, you know, they all do pretty. If you're on SNL, you have to, you know, do a good impression of people. And all the impressions in this were just spot on. Leslie Jones doing Oprah. Oh, my God. It'll it'll send you, you know, it'll it'll just make you laugh really hard. And uh, what's his name as John Oliver, the new guy as John Oliver. And John Oliver actually is in. The new Lion King remake as Zazu, the the (laughs) bird. And I mean, I think it's very accurate because his nose is very beak-like. Yes, John Oliver is. And John Oliver is absolutely incredible. Um, If you don't know who he is, he hosts a a show called Last Week Tonight. And I I don't watch that show either, but I say I do because I do watch the YouTube clips. Ah, see, there you go. There you go. (laughs) I do like a sarcastic comment from him. It's pretty funny. But uh, last on trending that we have is um, Star Wars Battlefront 2 releases this Friday for any of you video gamers that enjoy getting behind some joysticks and vegging out. I've heard that the first person campaign is supposed to be a lot better in this one because it was very much lacking in the first one. 
And I, and granted, I didn't ever, I had never played the first one. The first one actually didn't have a first player campaign. It oh, was see, all so multiplayer. Didn't have anything. Yeah, so it didn't have anything. So this one now has a story mode on it, and, and you know we have a gambit of featured articles today. We're just we're just kind of doing everything today. But uh, to talk a little bit about Battlefront Two releasing this Friday. Um, whenever you guys are hearing this podcast, I will be neck deep, and you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably have it downloaded. I think I'm going to take Friday off to play because. I bought an Xbox two years ago for the sole purpose to play Battlefront. And my brother, who makes fun of me all the time, because that's the only game I own. I only own one game, and that is Star Wars Battlefront. So those of you who are out there and you're going to be playing this weekend, hit me up. And uh, I can show you how bad I I stink at this game. (laughs) Uh, Next up is our interview with Carlos Whitaker. Whitaker is a speaker, author, and podcaster whose wife has designated him a hope dealer. In 2009, Carlos signed a recording deal with Integrity Music and moved his family to Nashville, Tennessee. It was in Nashville where Carlos decided to make the shift from writing music to writing books and from singing on stages to speaking on stages. His life changed when an innocent car jam session of All the Single Ladies was uploaded to YouTube and became an overnight viral sensation. Well, some of our listeners, uh, you know, may or may not have heard of you. And I know that you've shared your story in some different mediums and whatnot. But can you give me kind of the backstory uh, of your life up to the point where you start the book, Kill the Spider? Yeah, you know, I um, I, I grew up in a Christian home um, in East L.A. in Pico Rivera. And um, my dad was the pastor of First Bilingual Baptist Church in Pico de Vera. And so I grew up in a, a great you know home with a loving dad who loved the Lord and um, great parents and a, a brother. And I lived in East L.A. until elementary school, then moved to Atlanta uh, in elementary school. And my, my dad got a job there and then moved um, back to California for college. Again, it was, you know, I, I was starting to pick up on music and do music a little bit. Well, then got serious about it. And then about, um, I guess, 1999, you know, started a band and then that band turned into a, now, now I'm back in California, turned into like the worship team at this tiny little church plant I was a part of with, you know, 30 people. And then, and next thing you know, I ended up staying at this church for 10 years, um, as the creative arts pastor, I was called Sandals Church and, um, yeah, I was there, saw it grow from, you know, 30 people to a few thousand, three or 4,000 now. You know, I've been gone for 10 years um, there. Gosh, they're running like 16,000 a weekend. And so it's it's fun to watch kind of what God has done there. But, you know, I I, I really cut my teeth in ministry in the creative arts, uh, worship, worship leading video, um, anything creative. And so did that for 10 years and then um, moved from California at Sandals Church to North Point Community Church, asked me to come aboard. And I was the service programming director for Buckhead Church which is their Buckhead campus in, in the city of Atlanta. Um, so I worked with Andy Stanley and North Point Ministries for three years, and it was amazing. And, you know, to to be able to to be kind of the creative guy in that environment is, it's, I mean, it really is like a, a dream job. Like I, people, I would have paid to have that job. I mean, it was, it was incredible. So did that for a while. Um, st- stopped leading worship as much while I was doing that, but, um, you know, really enjoyed the kind of the creative process side of things. And then, 
um, started leading worship a little bit more. Next thing you know, um, was contacted by a few record labels. Then I signed a record deal with Integrity Music. I toured, I toured for um, uh, three or four years uh, doing that uh, with Integrity. And then um, right, right around that time when I was touring with Integrity, I really had um, my life dramatically fell apart. This is all in Kill the Spider. Um, and so um, I really go into details in Kill the Spider as to how my life fell apart around chapter 11 um, and, and, and what it looked like to be standing on top of the world as far as in, in front of, you know, in evangelical Christendom's eyes, but yet having like roots of sin devouring my heart, um, uh, you know, secretly in on the side. And so my life really did. It fell apart. And um, I spent about a year um, you know, just really seeking the Lord and stepping into some spaces where, um, healing began to happen. Uh, and really, really, honestly, this is where kill the spider began because I had been cleaning the cobwebs. I'd been, um, dealing with cobwebs or again, medicating behaviors, just trying to stop doing bad for so long. I'd listened to all the podcasts. I read all the books. I'd listened to the sermon series on how to, how to stop doing these destructive behaviors. And it would work for a minute but then it wouldn't, you know, and then it wouldn't. And, and I, I finally realized, you know, a few years in after a lot of therapy that I through a story my dad told that I needed to stop cleaning the cobwebs and to kill the spider. And again, that's the agreement that I've made with the lie that is causing these destructive behaviors. So when I did that was probably around 2013 kind of killed my spider. Uh, and then man, just the breath that came in there. I started, I stopped leading worship. I felt like the Lord was pretty uh, clear that I needed to stop doing that and to start speaking. So, um, I, since about 2014, um, I made the transition from leading worship to speaking full time. And, you know, as somebody that has had a following, um, in the music scene, it was really difficult initially to convince people that I was not a worship leader anymore, that I was, you know, a, a singer. I mean, I'm still a worship leader, but, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, you know, and so I kind of had to put a stake in the sand and stop, um, stop singing and start speaking. And, you know, now it's, it's kind of cool because now that Kill the Spiders come out, I feel like when Moment Maker came out, that book, like half, half my kind of tribe saw me as a, a musician and half my tribe saw me as a communicator. Um, and then now that Kill the Spider comes out, um, really like everyone I meet is like, you know, they see me as Carlos, the communicator, the speaker. Uh, and a lot of them don't even know I ever sang, which is really cool. You know, I really try to tell people if they want to reinvent themselves and what, what they're doing in their lives, like it's possible, but it actually takes time and it takes work. And so, um, man, that's kind of where I've, I've landed here with kill the spider and it's, it's out and, um, I'm having a blast talking about it. You're pretty much a professional storyteller, which is a phenomenal job title. So how do you keep like storytelling and, and as you're going about all these conferences and these different engagements, how do you keep your storytelling fresh? You know, um, for somebody like me who, you know, travels full time and really at the end of the day, like, I mean, I've got my four talks that people want me to give. Like I've got... You know, I, I've got my kind of like it when I was a, when I was doing worship full time, I had my set, right? Like I knew if a church wanted me to come in, I had my five songs and I knew the stories to tell in between the songs. And I kind of have the same thing w- with my talks. And so 
it can get a little stale, right? Like, like I can, I can get to the point where, you know, another conference has me come in and they want me to do a talk about moment maker, my first book. And I, I can almost do it in my sleep, which can get dangerous for a creative. Um, and so what I have to do is make sure that I am putting myself in front of people, um, and sharing new stuff and new stories regularly. And I have to make sure, um, that I'm trying some things that I don't know that I'm, I'm not sure will succeed. So basically, um, you know, setting myself, uh, myself up to fail in smaller and smaller settings. And so something that I've done that I've just recently, when I say recently, maybe the last year started to do with my storytelling is, you know, most of my stories are about my, my family and my kids and they, they, they go great in churches. But what I hate doing is kind of trying out a story using using an audience at a church who has booked me or a conference that's booked me as kind of a beta test um i I don't know i feel bad i feel like i want to give them what i know will work so i've actually started doing some i've actually started um doing some improv um at some stand-up comedy clubs all over the country (laughs) so i'll 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 go up and i'll do like open mic nights and Here's the thing, like people may think, oh my gosh, that sounds terrifying. And it was the first time until you realize just how absolutely not funny people that are go to open mic nights are. And so suddenly, like, even if you're even remotely funny, you, you, you can start uh, gauging the audience with your story. So I actually will, and I try to do it now every two months, we'll find an open mic night as I'm traveling around the country um, and I'll sneak in there and I'll tell some stories. And again, I'm not a comedian. I'm a storyteller. And so my uh, the the way I do it, you know, there may be a punchline that I accidentally deliver, but it's really I'm just trying to get a gauge for the story. So I'm actually telling stories in comedy clubs um, around, you know, around the country and for open mic nights. And that's where I kind of test out a lot of the stories and materials that end up landing on stages when I'm speaking at conferences um, and at churches. So that's one thing I do is, you know, you, you know, um, you got to practice. And for me, you know, I've tried to practice in front of a mirror or in front of the camera. It just isn't the same. I've got to be in front of a group of people. So um, sometimes, you know, I'll go to my, I'll go to my kids um, um, school and, I'll I'll practice like in their chapel and you know just some place where nobody's paying me to do this and um and and I'll give it a shot so that's kind of how I keep things fresh in the storytelling realm How did you prepare yourself to, to and, and I'm going to be honest here again, I haven't read Moment Maker yet, but how do you prepare for a book like Kill the Spider where you're covering some tough things and, and you're really just putting yourself out there? Absolutely. You know, um, Moment Maker was my first book. Uh, and before that, I'd been blogging every day on a, on a blog <clears throat> called Ragamuffin Soul that I used to blog on. I, I haven't been on that. I don't even know if I've been to my website in two years, but um, you know, things have shifted and moved. And but you know, I mean, now, now I'm blogging on Instagram is is kind of what I'm doing. But um, you know, so I'm I, I write in. I've always written kind of short stories every day, like three paragraphs. It's kind of what I did. And so Moment Maker was really almost a collection of blogs like it was a, con- a connection collection of stories that I kind of put together kill the spider what's what's so massively different about it is I really went about this one 
you know, I, I feel like everybody has a whole bunch of blog posts that they can turn into a book. And then after that, if they want to write another book, they actually have to write a book. And, and this one has a whole story arc that goes along the entire book. It takes you really through um, my seven days at, um, at a place called Onsite, this experiential therapy center outside of Nashville. And what I do is I take readers on a journey from kind of identifying my spider, locating my spider, cornering my spider. And then ultimately, when I left therapy um, towards the end, and you'll get to this, is finally killing my spider. Um, And so, yeah, so this book took, Moment Maker took six months to write. This book took three and a half years to write. I mean, it 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 was a process. The creative process was a lot different. I actually had had about 40,000 words written in January of 2017 of this year. And I, I, I read it all. I put it together and I said, this isn't in the book. And I deleted everything and started over, you know? And so I, I deleted it all. I started over and thank God I did because just kind of what's happening with the book now, it's a completely different book. Initially, the first book I wrote, Kill the Spider, was all about my um, all about my my cobwebs, and it was really all up, all about you know. And so, for the listener, uh, in the book, I define a a spider as a lie you've made an agreement to, and a cobweb as a medicator that brings you false comfort to that lie. And so, my medicators were were really easy. Cobwebs are really easy to identify in your life. If you, if you can't identify them, just ask your family, um, and they'll they'll be happy to tell you. Um, <clears throat> but the first book was very focused on my cobwebs and kind of the story of my cobwebs, which, you know, I guess it was kind of a good story, but at the end of the day, like, that's not what I wanted the book to be about. I wanted it to be about less about my, my issues and more about my freedom. And so I rewrote the book, man, and gosh, just the reception it's gotten and watching, watching people tweet about it and, and the reviews on Amazon and watching it kind of go, um, go, go viral past my own circle of influence is I think the writing on the wall that, that I wrote the right book. I think one of the things that I really appreciate about it is you're not just saying, here's threat, three steps, how to kill the spider. Now go and apply it. You know, you're inviting people into this like deep understanding. You're bringing them there right along with you where you were in this seven days on site to understand what's causing the cobwebs in their life and to really be liberated from a spider infestation. Absolutely. You know, like I'm not... I'm not Brene Brown. Like, I don't have any research. Like, like I don't, the only research I've done is me. I am my own lab rat and I'm my own beta test. And so, you know, I'm not going to tell you anything that hasn't been true for me. And again, as a storyteller and as creatives, we, we have to learn what is the way God has gifted us to tell stories. And the way he's gifted you to tell stories is different than me and is different to the next guy. And so, you know, you're, um, some people are really good at, at, at telling stories on video and creating videos to do that. Some people are really good at writing. Some people are really good at standing on stages. Some people are good at really good at, at writing songs. Some people aren't good at singing songs that are good at writing songs. And some people are good at singing songs. And so like we have to get to that space where we can really understand how we've been created to tell these stories. Um, you know, and, and, and just, you know, jump into that. I'm a very experiential storyteller. And so, you know, as I, You know, even as I get into telling, um, excuse me, speaking about Kill the Spider, just even today, like I was like, man, like I've given the Kill the Spider talk seven times since my book came out. 
and I still felt like there was something missing. Like I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, but I knew that there needed to be something tangible for everybody to understand what freedom really feels like. And so I'm just praying about it this morning. I've got, I'm preaching my message again this weekend at a church. Um, and suddenly again, through prayer and through, and I, I go into and kill the spider, what it looks like to hear from God and, and, and talk to God. And, um, so I'm asking this morning, I'm just kind of saying like, what, what's it supposed to, what's this extra thing missing? And suddenly I realized I, in my talk, I talk about having asthma. And when I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, I did not know that I had asthma. And, um, like I, I was an adult, I never had asthma before we moved to Nashville. When I moved to Nashville, the allergies are so bad here that my wife told me three months into moving that, um, I've been wheezing when I go to sleep. So I kind of doubted her for a couple of days. She's like, no, I, every single night I hear, I hear you breathing. Like I'm not supposed to hear you breathe. Like I hear it. You should go to an allergist. So I go to an allergist and, and I tell this story in, in, in my talk on kill the spider. And I went to an allergist and he, he does the allergy test on me and he looks at me and he's like, man, like you're actually allergic to Nashville, not just like this side of trees, but like you're allergic. And he's like, let's do a breathing test on you. So we did a breathing test on me and he said, oh my gosh, you, you're actually only using 30% of your lung capacity when you breathe. Now here's the crazy thing. I had no idea. Like I actually felt fine. I felt like I was breathing just fine. And I told him, I was like, you're crazy, man. Like, like I can breathe. I can run. I've been exercising. He's like, no, trust me. You're only using 30% of your lungs. So he handed me an inhaler and I took a hit of the inhaler and suddenly all the breath that was supposed to enter my lungs finally entered my lungs. And I had no idea that I wasn't breathing. Like I thought I was breathing, but until I took that first real breath with the medicine inside of me, suddenly I was like, oh my gosh. Like, and I almost started crying in his office because I had not felt what it felt like to breathe. Well, so I tell this story and people get it and they're like, oh, I get it. But I could tell that the people that don't have asthma still didn't get it. Like they kind of got it, but they didn't. So all of a sudden this morning, I was just kind of searching for stuff on YouTube and trying to figure this out. And I came across a video called the asthma challenge and, and, and what it is, is apparently there's like a national asthma awareness day and people are supposed to, and I had my kids do it this morning, jog in place for 15 minutes. And then right when they're done jogging, they have to breathe through a straw for 15 seconds. And I'm sorry, jog for 15 seconds, then breathe through a straw for 15 seconds. So I did it. And it was incredible that that felt like an asthma attack. Like you can't get enough air into your lungs. And so I had my kids do it and they were like, wow, dad, is this what it feels like to have asthma? And I was like, yes. Yeah. So sure enough, I know it's, you know, it's Thursday at, at noon, but I called the church I'm speaking at this weekend. I was like, is there any way we can get 4,000 straws this weekend for, <laughs> for the church? Uh, and of course they figured out how to do it, but I'm going to add that to my storytelling, because again, I'm a very experiential storyteller. And I feel like by doing that, everybody in the congregation is going to get an understanding is what does it feel like to not be able to breathe spiritually? And then when you kill your spider, what is it supposed to feel like when you breathe spiritually? transparent just kind of it just seems to be 
that's that's kind of what you're about. And so there's got to be kind of a level of, oh, man, I'm I put together this kill the spider book and there's a lot of me in it. Here we go. So what is that balance of, of kind of your life being kind of part of your work and, and being a fairly public figure like you are with speaking and the social media presence that you have? How do you kind of find that balance? Yeah. You know, the balance is going to look different for everybody. Um, I've, I've started to define the balance, um, um, and and really kind of really measure it differently. I think before, like I'd measure it like, you know, Oh, I don't want to talk about this. And I do want to talk about this really like all the measurement now comes from, comes from where, um, what my relationship with God looks like, like, like what, what is it? How is my conversational intimacy with him going? If I am, if I'm hearing from him less and less at, at that point, I have to take a look at my life and say, okay, you know what? The volume of my life is way too loud because I, I got to turn it down. If, if I am still hearing from him clearly on a daily basis, I'm talking about like crazy hearing from God stuff. Like not, not just what, what I thought hearing from God was, but like really, really clear, um, clear instructions from him or clear conversations with him on a daily basis. If that's clear to me, then you know what? Like I, I think, uh, man, the sky's the limit with sharing. Like I, I'm the more vulnerable I am, the more uh, people are impacted by my story. And so, um, so, th- and that, that's just, that's how I kind of how I am. When, when I start though, I think raising the volume of my life too loud, the volume of God gets really, really low in my life and I, I can't hear him. So for me, it's not really about how much I share, but I think about how loud I am when I share. So I, I don't want to give anything away um, for Kill the Spider, and, and you can tell me if this is something that that uh, you can ex- you want to expound on even. Um, but a lot of creatives in any um, discipline can suffer from kind of that imposter syndrome of not feeling qualified or talented enough to be where they are, and they just feel like they're fooling people. I know I've had that. Um, even before reading the book, I'm like, man, do they do they know they're paying me for this? You know, so. How would you suggest kind of maybe getting past that self-doubt and really embracing confidence? No, that's a great question, you know, and, uh, and, and it really is. It's, it's what Kill the Spider is all about, right? Uh, overcoming those lies, not over, not even overcoming those lies. I, I feel like that's a bad way to put it, like killing, destroying those lies. That That's the goal, right? And so obliterating, you know, um, and so so the, the goal is, um, first of all, you, you've got to, it's really easy to look at, at, um, at yourself and believe you're a fraud. I mean, that that's one of the biggest lies that creative deal with that. The, one of the biggest spiders that we have to. So what we have to do is we have to, first of all, identify it. So like, if that's you, you know, go ahead and speak it out there. There's power in our words. It's like, if you feel that's true, say it, you know, like say, I feel this is true. And, and once you've identified it, you know, then the process really goes into what does it look like to kill it? And again, yes, in the book, I go into, you know, hyper detail as to how to really biblically do this. And it really is, is, is freeing, but kind of cliff notes version of it. You have to, um, you have to confess the lie, which is again, speak it out loud. You have to reject the lie. Okay. So what does it look like for you to reject it? I mean, you, you, do you need to put actionable steps in your life 
so that you can reject this lie that you're operating under on a daily basis that I'm a fraud. Okay. So if, if in meetings you are, you know, you're not, you're not speaking up because you believe that if you speak up, everybody's going to look at you like you're a loser and like, you don't know what you're talking about. You've got to build some actionable steps into your life where you can take action to reject the lie, which means what are some ways in this meeting I'm going to speak two times. If I never talk, I'm going to speak two times. And even if I feel like everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy, I'm still going to speak. Those are actionable steps to reject the lie. And then here's the biggest part. I think that a lot of people do a great job at identifying the lie and rejecting the lie, but not at replacing it. And so that's really the biggest key that I get into in the end of the book is what does it look like to replace the lie with truth? Because if we just reject a lie, well, what that does is it leaves a chasm inside of your heart that that lie has been... um, it's been hiding out in for many years, for many of us, for decades. And when we suddenly remove that lie, well, suddenly like we're, we're going to be left feeling completely empty because that lie has been protecting us from pain. And what we want to do is before another lie invades that space, we've got to replace that with truth. So you got to find what is true about who you are, what is true about how you, you, you're not a, a fraud, what is true about how, you know, your skill set and, and what is it that about your creative you know, um, skill set that people love. And so you start writing that stuff down and you start replacing the lie with truth. And at that point, when you've replaced the lie with truth, spiders die and you get, you get that hit of the inhaler and you finally are able to breathe in a way that you never knew you were breathing before. So, you know, if you're out there and you're struggling with that imposter syndrome, know that everybody thinks they faked it. Everybody. I don't care if it's the most incredibly dynamic pastor on the planet or communicator on the planet. There, there are moments that they get off stage and they're like, I I don't know. I don't know why these people even believe a word I'm saying, you know? And so, um, it's, it's, um, that, that's a big one. That's a big lie. And you know, there's, there's other lies that creatives, you know, creatives deal with, but I'd say that you hit the nail on the head with that one being one of the big ones. Head on over to our podcast episode page for some bonus questions from our interview with Carlos. You can find Carlos on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Los Wit, that's L-O-S-W-H-I-T, his podcast, Interwild, and check out his books, his debut, Moment Maker, and the most recent, Kill the Spider. You can find that at killthespider.com. Last week, we asked, what is your first job that you actually got paid to do? You went to the Creative Talks Facebook group on Facebook and answered, here are a few of our favorites in no particular order. So we had Jake Ishmael, who said when he was 15, he met a girl in line at Disneyland because all good romances start at Disney, right, Nick? Amen. Okay. My wife wife and I, my wife and I, that's where we went on our first date was at Disney. Well, of course you would. Uh, So. Jake was 15, met a girl in line at Disneyland. I wonder what ride it was for. If he remembers, I'd love to know. Um, It was typical puppy love. He didn't have his license, so he couldn't go to see her, but proceeded to rack up 
long-distance phone bills for $296. And this was back in the 80s when it cost an arm and a leg for long distance. So when his dad got the bill, he flipped out and said that Jake had to pay every single cent and Jake had no experience for any jobs, never filled out an application or had to do any kind of job interview. So his older brother managed a place that sold RVs and um, offered him a job washing the RVs for minimum wage. And his dad made him interview for the position, fill out the application and then make, make him sweat before he got hired. And, and he said, picture the scene in The Wedding Singer when Sandler put his limo driving best friend through the ringer to get the job. He said, I had to be timed, filling buckets, wrapping hoses, etc. I spent the next two and a half months working in the heat, subjected to my brother's loving cruelty, earning minimum wage and cursing the day I ever fell in love with the Disneyland line woman. Yes, we won't say her name. We'll, we'll protect the innocent in case she yes, listens to the podcast. Sure. <laughs> yeah, he, she doesn't need to know what Jake went through. And Jake, <laughs> that is a phenomenal story. I mean, I was oh, so glad that was I asked it. that question whenever I read yours. Um, next is Mitch Bolton. Mitch said that uh, uh, besides mowing his neighbor's lawn and cleaning and dusting parts in the warehouse, his first job was an amusement park. And it was not very amusing. And we had Jonathan Malm, who a lot of us have heard of or know. Uh, say his first paying gig was in web design and SEO because somehow a design firm trusted a 14-year-old to do that job. Oh, the early 2000s. What a time to be alive. Yes, absolutely. And last but not least, my favorite comes from Matt Riles. <laughs> Matt's a good friend of mine. And uh, he just posted a gif of someone milking a cow. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what that means. That however you will. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that, that was... That was um that was our reply all from last week. You can go back and listen to me and Ross's answers from last week. So this week's reply all is uh, a good one that's really close to my heart is what movie did you love as a child but later learned wasn't as critically acclaimed by the rest of the world as you thought it would be? This might require a little bit of homework because you have to think of your favorite movie as a child and then you have to go look up like the Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, I did this over the weekend because Wild Wild West had uh came back up on netflix and great movie it's funny to me i love it i love the movie it's a will smith will smith movie back whenever he used to make you know campy comedic you know movies i guess he kind of and and rap albums and rap albums and i I guess he kind of still does that type of movie i don't i can't really think of the last movie i saw with him um it was wild wild west this weekend so I, i watched wild wild west and i was telling my wife i was like oh my gosh this movie's so good it's so funny i love this movie it's so you know it's humorous and all this stuff it has kevin kevin klein's in it and i finished up and i was like man that was great that was nostalgic i loved it and i was like because one of the things i do is i like to know what the ratings of movies are i love i love going through and reading what the critics have to say as well so I was like, I wonder what Wild Wild West has on Rotten Tomatoes. Hold it up. Gross, you want to give a guess of what it was? Um, Wild Wild West. Let me say 38%. Ooh, Ross, you're so generous. That's all, that could be counted as a charitable gift mm. because it was at 17%. Oh, that's painful. I mean, you just, my face was just like, <gasps> I was just shattered because here I thought it was such a great movie. And it turns out that movie was not as good as I thought it was. Ross, what about you? What, what do you think one of yours, how, well, how do you think your movies measure up? Man, I just looked up my all-time favorite movie in childhood. I had it on VHS. I wore that tape out watching this movie because I recorded it on uh, back when they would do the 
uh, movies without commercial and, and that kind of thing. Short Circuit 2. Not one, but Short Circuit 2. That's a deep cut for, for all the young ones. I think that I know what this movie is, but could you could you explain it just so I, I know? All I'm saying is if you don't know Johnny Five is alive, then I'm just going to have to have you go Google that. But anyways, Short Circuit 2. I loved that movie. Every time I was sick, um, I remember waking up from a concussion one time and that was the movie that was playing. And I just watched this anytime I could. Um, just looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes. And the reason that I said 38% for Wild Wild West is because it got 38% oh. on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that's, that's so that's crushing. And it is just one of my, oh, that is part of my childhood right there was Johnny five before, before we end though, I, I do want to point this out. You said you were waking up from a concussion. Well, yeah. Cause you don't remember a concussion. Wait, are, are you supposed to go to sleep when you have a concussion? No, you, you just kind of black out parts of your memory. I remember riding my bicycle off of a ramp and then I woke up in bed. And apparently between there, I had ridden home with my friend. My parents took me to the hospital, then got me home. I woke up, immediately threw up, uh, and watched Short Circuit 2. I've never had a concussion, so I didn't know what the protocol parts was. Of your, That's well, interesting. In my case, anyway, parts of my memory blacked out. Well, hopefully you can you know, black out the fact that Short Circuit 2 only has a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. No, no that's forever <laughs> etched into my heart now. All right. On that note, we'll go ahead and we'll wrap things up. There are a few great ways that you can share your appreciation for the Creative Church podcast. First, you can subscribe and add us to your favorite podcatcher. We're currently on Google Music, um, iTunes, and Stitcher. We also release all of our episodes on our website at creativechurch.com. That's crtvchurch.com. And you can review the podcast, show us some rating star love on iTunes uh, so we can get more exposure and, and just have people discover this little nugget of joy and perhaps wisdom yeah more joy less wisdom oh okay Okay. (laughs) lastly consider sharing this episode on social media you can find us by searching our handle creative church that's one word crtv church um special thanks to carlos for joining us today you can check out all that he's doing by following him on twitter at los wit and by going to our podcast episode page on our website also thanks to our sponsors go and make sure you check them out in the meantime i'm nick goodner i'm ross montgomery and we will see you next episode Thank you for listening to the Creative Church Podcast. Creative Church exists to bring creators together. For more information, visit our website at creativechurch.com. That's crtvchurch.com.